Good morning. Welcome to Sunday morning program at Great Val. We're going to be doing a ceremony called Sajiki today. And we've got the, the altars changed for that ceremony. We'll talk about that in just a moment. In the fall, certainly in the West, during harvest times, there was always an ancient ceremony of remembering the dead. Probably, definitely prehistorical times. And some millennia later, the, the Christians changed it to All Saints' Eve, All Hallows' Eve. And in Asia, there was also a commensurate um, festival. They had pretas, gakis. They would come out in the fall. So cross-culturally, over the millennia, there has been this, some particular activity happening in the fall. So just speculating a little bit, the dying of the summer, all the leaves and vegetation turning, and harvest time, time certainly in traditional cultures where food scarcity was a, uh, an issue, especially in the late winter and spring. Um, here's a time of bountifulness. So we have a mixture of dying, the fall of dying, and we have a mixture of harvest. So we have those two little, those two points. Then we add, we all die. And of course, all of our ancestors have died. And culturally, not spiritually, but culturally, you know, people are always wondering what happened to them, where did they go? And in some places, um, they're really viewed as being present but in another form, and in some places they're being present in another realm. Um, so we have that point of connection there. Then we have the issue of uh, harvest. Everybody eats. So we have the dying, we have the harvest, we have the, uh, the need to eat. All happening in the Northern Hemisphere for millennia. I don't know what happens in the Southern Hemisphere, or there's a commensurate kind of thing or not. So, in the fall, the question of what is our relationship to those who have passed? Are they some kind of macabre specter? Or are they revered ancestors? And what is our relationship during times of fullness, of harvest, to those who come in need? Asking for something of what we, at that time, feel we have enough of, but Often people ask for things we don't feel we have enough of. So we'll put all these together. We have a ceremony here called Sujiki, where we take those elements together. In our Western modern American culture, we have the event of Halloween, which has become basically a titillation of the senses, which has become a commercial uh, issue, a commercial venture, a commercial 
time to sell things. It's become a fear fest. Harvest, death, dying, fear. Those who have passed beyond. So what is fear? If we have greed, if we want something, if somebody comes wanting something, that usually is because there's some anxiety inside. Or if we have any hesitation to give something to people, it's because we often have some anxiety inside. And in this day, at least in the U.S., when they have uh, horror movies and scary houses and macabre costumes, what is fear? I think fear boils down to anticipation that we may experience something we don't want to. So in the fall, people who feel fear anticipating something they don't want to feel. Like what do they not want to feel? They don't want to feel whatever they regard death as being. They don't want to feel hunger. They don't want to feel. And so we project it all out. Project it all out and we have the projections of our own wanting. Our own anxiety. And those projections are Ghosts and gakis and pretas and other beings. Nobody wants to be hungry. And there's a fear of being hungry. And we project that fear out. There are these hungry ghosts and hungry spirits out there. If you think about it, our whole life is driven in part by wanting. You know, we want food and shelter and security, we want company, we want love, we want clothing, we want pleasure, we want enjoyment. And anticipation is pleasurable. So here, at this time of the year, we have fear inside, Lots of fear in our culture right now. Fear of the future. We may have to experience something we don't want to experience. We may have to, to taste something we don't want to taste. We project that out because the world is partly how we see it. You know, yin and yang, we have the, the yin and the yang side in the Taoist symbol. Whatever is inside is met by what is outside. Whatever is outside is met by what is inside. They come together. What we see in the world has to do with our view of the world. So now we come to a day where we have pretas and gakis and ghosts and vampires, all of whom in the Buddhist cosmology inhabit one of the six worlds, a world of desire, a world of endless wanting, our desire, our endless wanting, projected. Iconographically, the, the, the gakis, the pretas, are depicted as people who have burning, burning thirst and bellies swollen with hunger. You know, 
Kwashiorkor is one of the symptoms is you get these big bellies. Desperate for food. Burning hunger, burning food, burning uh, appetites, ravenous appetites, starving. After the liberation in Europe, after World War II of Auschwitz, or Birkenau, or one of those, Dachau, one of those places, people came across these mass of, of people who had been incarcerated, and they were starving, and they were skeletons. And the first impulse that everyone had was feed them, feed them, feed them. And they gave them these big feasts and killed 10,000 people because of food. So this gaki is like this, starving, hungry, wanting, desire, our expressed inner nature. And if we feed it too much, too fast of good, good food makes them sick, makes them run. So we have a ceremony now where we give that part of the universe a little bit of what it wants so that hopefully those who come will want what we have to give. So during this particular ceremony, we have covers, covered the Buddhas, covered those scary beings who are too pure and too, too bright and too free. Because if you're really feeling small and wizened and, and inadequate, and then people who are too big, too bright, too happy, are scary. You avoid them. You project negative things on them. So we cover all those. And we offer instead some tantalizing um, food of the kind that the hungry ghost in us recognizes and knows. And in this ceremony, we invite that part of ourselves, we invite those spirits, we invite that part of the world to come and to have a little bit of what they want. And while they're here, we have the opportunity to offer them the Dharma. And what's the Dharma? First off, the thing that we chant every single day is the Bodhisattva, or is the Bodhisattva vow. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them. Beings are numberless, I vow to feed them. And we chant that in our meal chants. All hungry ghosts, all tortured spirits. Now we give you this Dharma food. So, what is Dharma food? It's obviously not something that you can put in a book and say, here, eat this. You know, you, if you put it in a book and you fill a whole library full of books and you say, here, this is Dharma food, good luck. You know, maybe you become an insect in your next lifetime so you can digest this. So I think that what we have to say Dharma food is connection to life. The Dharma food is 
connection, awakening to life. The Dharma food is seeing the big picture. The Dharma food is expanding the nature of mind and awareness to a more inclusive view. To actually see who we are as an inclusive being that won't fall out of the universe. And to invite all those spirits to see that they too occupy a important primordial role in this inclusive mind, inclusive universe. The nature of suffering is exclusion, aversion. You know, I'm lacking, I'm broken, I'm incomplete. So we do a ceremony here with, called the Kanraman, the Gate of Sweet Nectar. We call, we offer, we then point out, and we request that that part of us and all these energies in the world are turned into wisdom. Not because we've got this little troop of gnomes with hammers working on trying to transform it into wisdom, but the way that things are transformed into wisdom in the dharmic realm is through awareness, through attention, through a large view, through looking at something instead of looking at it through the small, wizened, tight, narrow container of a throat that can't take anything in. To actually see that that throat, that that tall, small, wizened place is contained in a much larger view, that actually there is freedom to be found in every realm because there's no separation. So our world internally, the world that we see externally, two sides of the same thing. And we cultivate our mind during this ceremony. We express that mind to the world. The ritual Dido used to say, making the invisible visible. We, we make this, this thread of our being and our world visible and then through awareness, through intention, through kindness, we transform it by not making it bad and getting rid of it, but by holding it in an inclusive awareness where everything is a jewel, everything is important. So that's the ceremony that we're going to be doing uh, right now. There's lots more that could be said about it, but I think that's probably a good introduction. Okay? Do you want me to talk some more? I've been instructed to talk a little more if I want to. Um, We've done this ceremony um, every year for many years, and one of the highlights I always think of the ceremony is the Conroman, the Gate of Sweet Nectar. And the Gate of Sweet Nectar um, that we chant, and we'll chant it during the ceremony, is one that was um, Bernie Glassman went to Krishnadas and said, please, will you do a kirtan, will you do a chant that will, that will get the essence of this ceremony? And so Krishnadas did this chant, which we call the Kanraman, the Gate of Sweet Nectar. And it basically is a chant that calls all hungry ghosts, all tortured spirits, everybody whose heart is broken, everybody who has need, everybody who feels lack, 
every spirit, every realm, please come. And if you think about that vow, to make that vow in your heart is a very scary vow. Think of all those people out there. Think of all those hungry ghosts. Think of all those, those beings in need. And we, during this month, or during this last month, say to ourselves and the universe, come, come, share our table. Share this Bodhi mind. Come. Just the opposite of the kind of ordinary mind. Ordinary mind is go, go, get out of here. I want to be free of you. But we're, during this month we're saying, give me more problems. Give me more challenges. Give me more beings who are hard to, to meet. We're saying it with this chant over and over and over again. Give me, bring these parts of myself which are difficult to digest, which I don't understand. Please, come. Come to the surface. Come to our door. Come to our table. Come, come. And, of course, being good modern people with lots of self-interest, we hope that that's a figurative uh, request. We hope that we can kind of put the request out there to the universe and say, well, you know, we're going to say this because it's all really a good thing to say, but, you know, we really would prefer you not to actually respond to this. Um, we actually would feel like it's very important as, as good spiritual people that we say things like this, but, but you know, be reasonable. Um, but that's not what the chant's about. That's not what this ceremony's about. So what happens then when those beings, those people show up? What happens when difficult people come? We say come, and difficult people want to come. We say come, and difficulties arise, problems. What do we do? How do we, what's our attitude toward them? And the attitude of the inclusive mind is we've, here, let's turn this into wisdom. Let's turn this into wisdom. Let's turn this into wisdom. Welcome. Let's turn this into wisdom. And of course, it does not mean that we're, we suddenly become, you know, passive. Uh, but it does mean that we invoke the clarity and power of the Dharma to meet each situation. That each situation because of the nature of inclusivity, because of the nature of wholeness, each situation can be met and can be, through awareness and being skillful, can be transformed. Many people uh, have had experiences, have had illnesses, have had accidents, have had traumatic situations, and they look back in their life and think, there was a pivotal moment in my life. I would never want to do that again, but I learned something I could not have learned any other way. I never want to re-experience that same thing, and yet it was transformative. So this chant, the Conroman, in this ceremony is a transformative ceremony, a chant, a transformative opportunity. Bring me 
all those things which have the potential to transform me into a wiser, larger, more loving, more kind being. Please, I ask for them to come. I ask for difficulties. I ask for my limits to be tested. I ask for the impossible to be possible. It's a scary, if we actually think about what we're, we're doing, it's a little scary because the ego likes to be safe and secure and the ego likes to, to know the parameters. But when we actually say, bring things that will knock the ego to the ground, the small, centered, small self-centered view of reality will knock it to the ground so that I will be liberated to be able to have an inclusive view. It's a kind of a scary proposition. So taking this chant that we do, the Conroman, seriously, taking this ceremony that we do seriously, is a, has the potential to call forth life-changing events. And that means that if we are really look at fear, fear is, I anticipate feeling something I don't want to feel. Fear is, I'm going to experience something that I think I can't tolerate or can't handle. And we actually find that we can experience everything we can experience. We actually find that we are nothing but experience. We actually find that there is not about this part of the experience I like and I want to keep, this part I don't, but it's all, we're nothing but a total round of experience. And the ability to be aware of our nature as experience begins to mitigate, begins to mollify, begins to melt fear. Because I'm not afraid of being myself. I'm not afraid of experiencing what I need to experience, what I want to experience for the benefit of awakening, for the benefit of other people. So we have this scary proposition that we make. And the scary proposition is, come, give me some more difficulties, give me some challenges, because wisdom can work with those. Come, because I want to feel more fully. I want to feel and experience more. Come, because experience is life. And the richer the, the experience, the richer the life, in a way. So, think carefully when we're doing this ceremony. Listen carefully to what the words are. And if you find yourself faint of heart, um, just notice that. We do the same thing with the Cassidy Garba ceremony that Chosen wrote. You know, we say, we say, even if I have to go into hellish realms to help beings, I will do so. Well, sometimes those realms come to us. We don't have to go to them. But nonetheless, we still have the opportunity through the power of insight, through the power of wisdom, to transform every difficulty into liberation. Maybe so.